Welcome to Craven Craven episode 18. This month on Craven Craven, we're talking about Wes Craven's music of the heart. My name is Patrick Bromley, and I'm joined as always by my Craven Craven co-host, Heather Wixon. Hi, Heather. Hello. I we we're officially like uh we can we can vote now. Craven Craven can vote now. We are 18. Because we hit 18. Yes. Uh that's crazy. Yes. We're like in kind of the last not not quite the last act because I guess the two thousands would be the last act, and this movie technically came out in ninety nine. But we're we're getting there. We I only know. have a handful of Wes Craven movies left to cover, uh, and this one's a weird one because this is I won't say it's his only non horror movie because I don't really consider Swamp Thing horror, and I don't really consider Red Eye horror. But it's his only like non genre movie. Is that fair to say? That is fair to say, yeah. It's like his yeah. most it's his it's his most mainstream effort, uh, because it's essentially just a drama produced by Miramax and the Weinstein brothers, starring Meryl Streep. Hold on, I have the IMDB plot synopsis written by a user. Again, I want to stress that this is not written by anyone at uh IMDB, but it says the true story of a young teacher who fights against the Board of Education in her bid to teach underprivileged kids in a Harlem school the beauty of music through the violin. In her struggle, she loses everything as the system comes down on her with all their might. But her determination for the kids' happiness helps her to battle back with wonderfully inspirational results. I feel like they that synopsis like takes focuses heavily on like 20 minutes of the movie and then twists it into the rest of the movie. I don't feel like that's totally accurate. No, probably but, not. But I like it, but I like its intentions. Like it, <laughs> it clearly, whoever wrote that clearly put a lot of work into it. So. <laughs> Somebody is a big fan of this movie. Whoever wrote that. Uh, they are. So had had you seen this before? This was uh, my first time. This is Okay. It was this and the crazy Susan Lucci one, I think, <laughs> that were first time viewings for me. Starring two queens of their of their respective <laughs> media. Right. Uh what the hell was that movie called? Invitation to Hell. Thank you, Invitation to Hell. I was Ooh, never I coming up that with that. Right <laughs> That's impressive. <laughs> I was like, I was just thinking of like the art on Amazon, Amazon Prime, and I, was I like, could picture the art, but not the hell. title. All right, cool. Look at me. Sometimes I remember things. Not often. Though. <laughs> um, this was not your first viewing of this movie, right? No, but it was my first viewing since seeing it in theaters. So okay. it had been twenty, almost twenty-three years since I last saw this. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, this is one of those where, like, my mom was like, oh, I want to go see this movie with Meryl Streep. And I was like, you know, I was directed by the, the guy who did Nightmare on Elm Street. And she was like, what? No way. And I was like, uh-huh. <laughs> and she was like, all right, I guess we'll go see it anyway. And I was like, what? <laughs> um, but, yeah, so we was it was sort of a mother-daughter day viewing. Um, and, you know, I mean, <sighs> <laughs> Look, does it does it rely a little bit too much on a formulaic approach and a lot of saccharine sweet moments? Sure. Did it still kind of like pull up my heartstrings and I really enjoyed Meryl Streep? Yes. Um, but would I call this one of Craven's best movies? No. But I feel like you can sort of feel 
his I, I think this was a guy who just really saw because I from from what I remember I remember reading like a story about this and I don't know if it was something in maybe one of Joe Madry's books or talking to him or if it was something I read in like an article but I know that he'd seen the documentary um, about uh, Roberto Gaspari mm-hmm. and was really inspired because he was somebody who also really believed in the importance of the arts and that they were they were central to sort of what makes us human right like this is what separates us from other creatures on this planet like we get art you know we get expression and we get to sort of indulge ourselves in that way and like so i know he was somebody who's deeply like connected to that idea so i want you know i i appreciate sort of the earnestness in which he went for it. And I'll be honest, like I was kind of expecting Meryl Streep's character to be a lot more hokey than she is. Um, but she's kind of saucy. Um, yeah, she ends up interesting. saving the movie for me. And, and, and I think her character is what the movie does best. Some of that may be in the screenplay yeah. by Pamela Gray. Some of that may be Wes Craven's influence. Um, I would not call him like a, a corny or a hokey director, but he's never been a super subtle filmmaker No, in terms of his messaging and stuff like that. And there's nothing really subtle about music of the heart, except I agree with you. The Meryl Streep performance. I so appreciate that this movie doesn't like sand off the rough edges of this woman and make her into a saint. Yeah, I really appreciated it because I think, you know, especially because like, you know, we, when we start off the movie, like she's a woman who like her husband has left her for her, one of their friends, you know, she's got two kids to raise at this point, you know, she's moved back in with her mom and she has like zero idea what the hell to do with her life. And I, you know, and I think whether or not you're under those same circumstances, like I think we, sometimes we all hit a point where we're like, what are we doing? Like, what is like, what, right. What the hell is that? What is life? You know, and I like the fact that, like, even though she goes through these traumatic events and things like that, like that, it doesn't turn her into something else. And I'm curious. And I, I the one thing I couldn't figure out is whether or not Roberta herself, like, ever came to meet with them to talk with Meryl Streep, you know, about the character at all or with Pamela when she was working on the script or anything like that. Um, I don't really know. Did you did you find anything at all? I did not. Um, okay, I have so maybe, no idea. All right. So maybe they worked off of the footage in the documentary. Perhaps the, for the characterization. Right. So, which I haven't seen. Uh, I was actually going to try to watch it this weekend and just got kind of caught up. Um, I, I don't know if you've ever, have you ever seen it? Small the documentary? I have not. No. Okay. So I went through like a huge documentary phase in the nineties. So I'm kind of surprised that I didn't see this. Okay. I mean, I still watch pretty much documentaries like all the time uh, now, but I, the nineties specifically, I went through like this huge phase of watching that kind of stuff. Like a lot. I even went like the theaters and stuff. So. Hey, no. Um, Erica's obsessed with documentaries, but we haven't seen this one. Okay. Um, but yes, I'm curious if like a lot of it came from like the like the way she's presented in the documentary, or perhaps she talked with them. I just there's so little out there about this movie, which kind of blows my mind when you your two like major cast members are freaking Meryl Streep and Angela Bassett. Right. Like, come on. <laughs> like, I don't know who's doing the job in publicity in 1999, but for Miramax, but. They should have a stern talking to. Well, Angela Bassett is playing essentially, I think, a wasted role um, because her character is kind of stock. And I would argue that all of the characters in this movie, with the exception of Meryl Streep, are kind of stock. And again, I don't know who's to blame for that necessarily because, you know, this is a Weinstein brothers movie and they are notorious for interfering and recutting. And uh, I'm not suggesting that they recut music of the heart, but I'm sure their influence is felt in terms of some of the movies willingness to go down easy. If that makes sense. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. This, this felt like prime fodder for nineties lifetime. 
Yeah, and just sort of Before Oscar Beatty kind of like chasing clout. Yeah, like they knew because they had Meryl Streep in a feel-good story about, you know, essentially, and let's be really frank about it, a white woman coming into, you know, a neighborhood that was seen less is less than valuable by that society's, you know, views at that time. And quote unquote, saving these kids through music like that's what the like that was pure Oscar bait in the 90s. Right. You know, I mean, let's be really honest about it. Like I and I'm not down. I'm not trying to downplay what this woman really achieved um, by the things that she did, because I think ultimately I think that her goal was to do something really admirable and bring music into a community that otherwise these kids never would have been exposed to. Right. You know, and so it's hard to be mad at that, but also the way that it's framed, it really does have a lot of sort of white saviorism going on. Well, if it wasn't true, I would be, it would be screaming bullshit. You know what I mean? Like when it's yeah. like, we got Carnegie Hall, like, no, you didn't. But I'm assuming that that actually did happen. So I can't roll my eyes as much as I would like to. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's one of those where, like, if a lot of this stuff didn't actually happen, I'd be like, oh, you now you've gone too far. Exactly. Or <laughs> <laughs> you're like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> um, but, yeah, like, it was, it, it, again, it was one of those, like, I remember sort of taking my mom to it, and I was like, okay, whatever. And it was fine, like, back then. And I was like, all right, it's sweet. It's got a song with NSYNC and Gloria Estefan in it, and, you know, NSYNC Which, in 1998. That, that's such a Miramax move, too, to insert like a recording artist for no reason. They loved to do it, you know, stick LL Cool J in Halloween H2O and Busta in uh, Halloween Resurrection. And they loved putting like singers in their movies. Usher shows up in the faculty. And so for no reason, Gloria Estefan shows up in Music of the Heart and gets, you know, two scenes and she sings the song and gets nominated for an Oscar. Yeah, but I mean, it wasn't least. I mean, at least it wasn't like for performance. Cause then I'd be like, what now? <laughs> you know, it's like, for best like, supporting you... actress, Gloria are... Estefan. I'm like, are you Dame Judy Dench now? Like what's going on here? Uh, and I like Gloria Estefan. So that's not a knock to her at all. Um, but she's no Dame Judy Dench. And she's fine um, in her two scenes. Like she's yeah. totally fine. Have you seen uh, the new father of the bride? I have not. Okay, I was just curious because I know she's the mom in it. Oh, really? It's I knew it was yeah. Andy Garcia. I didn't realize she it's, was the mom. Yeah, it's it's her and Andy Garcia, which to me, that I'm like, oh, I'm in, I'm intrigued now. Right. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, I remember being really excited that Sig was on the soundtrack. I'm not gonna lie. Uh, <laughs> it's funny. I was never a boy band person. Like growing up, like I could give a shit about New Kids on the Block. Um, in fact, I got invited to new kids on the block and it was like seventh row. And I was like, nah. <laughs> and everybody was like, what is wrong with you? I was like, whatever. Um, but I did like NSYNC. I was more of an NSYNC person than I was a Backstreet Boys person. Okay. So, um, but yeah, so I was, it was fun to see, you know, them get nominated. I think they even played the Oscars in 2000, if I'm not mistaken. Probably. Although I have no idea. I remember like 99 being a pretty... <laughs> killer year because I think I was pulling for Amy Mann for Magnolia. I think she won. Uh, she did not. No? But what the hell won? I'll look it up while you talk. Oh my god. Now I'm like, what What the hell could have possibly won against Amy Mann? Yeah, I would have definitely gone for Amy Mann. Yeah, me too. Well. And I remember being excited to like see her perform oh, you'll be in my heart yeah, see this is the fucking oscars are the worst oh uh, and then but here's the thing that's a really that is a really tight year because not only do you have phil collins doing you'll be in my heart which okay it's it's a disney movie so i get it right but you also have randy newman for toy story 2 um, although is, is it is it when she loved me because that's yeah, like the that's best song in his, a pixar movie yeah, that's like one of his, that's like probably his least annoying song. Um, and then you also have Blaine Canada. Yeah. The same year. Wow. And then Music of My Heart and Save Me for Magnolia. My God. Yeah, 99 was a brutal year because it was such a good year for movies. Um, and so it makes sense that they would go ahead and award like the song from Tarzan. 
you know, I mean, wasn't that <laughs> kind of like if you were essentially like an animated movie with a big sort of like opus song, wasn't that kind of like is, for most years like that was like the standard? Like if you got nominated, you're pretty much going to win it. I guess it's just they had more obvious winners, I think. Uh, even Randy Newman would have been, I think, a better winner for When She Loved Me. A sequence in Toy Story 2 that's so good, they just went ahead and turned it into Toy Story 3 and Toy Story 4. I never saw 3 and 4. They're th- I know. They're the feature-length version of the When She Loved Me segment in Toy Story 2. Oh, wow. All yeah. right. Yeah. I don't know if I can handle all that emotion. I'm going to be really honest. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of emotion. Oh, God. But Toy um, Story but 2 yeah. did it best. Okay. All right. Interesting. Um, yeah, but that was a tough Fucking year. Phil Collins. Are you Collins. kidding me? Oh, man. But, you know, you can't argue with the dude who came up with In the Air Tonight. Come on. No, In the Air Tonight rules. And if it had been a retroactive Oscar for Against All Odds, I would be like, I support this decision. Yeah. Or was it, did he get, like, nominated for a song from Buster also? Uh, Groovy Kind of Love. Did he get nominated for that? I don't remember. I don't either. I'm looking up Phil Collins Oscar nominations and seeing how many times he was nominated. Let's see. Best original song in 89 for what? God damn it. Uh, Groovy Kind of Love. He did get nominated for Groovy Kind of Love. That's best uh Okay. It doesn't say for what the award is, though, but it's best song specifically written. Oh, that was Grammys. But he did win, win a Grammy for Two Hearts from Buster. <sighs> I literally, literally haven't thought about the movie Buster in like <laughs> 30 fucking years, man. And now I'm thinking about Buster and I can't even believe it. He was nominated for Against All Odds. Oh, oh. Um, he should have won. He should have. I just called to say I love you one from The Woman in Red. Which means The Woman in Red has an Oscar. Oh. Oh, you know what? He was nominated for an Oscar for Two Hearts. Was he really? Okay. He was, yeah. You go, Phil Collins. Maybe the You'll Be In My Heart was sort of like his... Right. All right. Well, you didn't win these other two, but here right. you go. Finally, it's the shape of water. We fucked up not giving it to you for against all odds. So, yeah, here it is. For man, you'll be in my heart. I guess, man, I'm looking at like all these different songs he got nominated for. I'm like, man, Phil Collins was kind of awesome for a long time. Mm. All right. Dude, I used to love Easy Lover and then Take Me Home. Oh, man. I'm not a take me home guy. <laughs> oh, well, whatever. I'm sorry you're not so fun. Are you, are you more of a, you were a Peter Gabriel in uh, the band person? No, like I really wasn't because I don't even or... know any Peter Gabriel Genesis. Like, uh, the only Genesis I know is Phil Collins' Genesis. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. I, I didn't know if you were one of those. No, so. no, no, please. This I'm is not. this is the music of our heart, Patrick. I'm not that, that hip. We're, we're about. <laughs> let's, let's talk about Phil the music, of, really our the music heart. of our hearts. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit! Um, yeah, no, man. Like, no jacket required was like, my god, that was. I don't know. There's a there's a reason it gets featured so much in in American Psycho. Like, I know it's in a hilarious way, right? But the you just can't argue with the formula. <laughs> you know, I can't it, argue with that big serious. red face. Oh man. And one more night. Uh, yeah, you, no, you I mean, I know these songs, but I don't love these like songs. Crying at a dance listening to one more night. I, that's only half true. <laughs> were, were you, were you in the bathrooms at the, at the, at the junior high dances to Patrick? <laughs> of crying? course I was backstage <laughs> controlling the music. Oh, okay. Yeah. Because it was literally like, I had to say like half the girls at like junior high dances, we were all going in and out of that bathroom by the cafeteria. Oh my gosh. Like, 
taking our turns crying and getting our friends to calm us down and then come back out. <laughs> and then we'd all sit on one side of the room while all you guys sat on the other side of the room. Three times. Good times. I, I think I slow danced to one song in junior high, and it was uh, I'll Remember You by Skid Row. That is all amazing. That's the music of my heart. <laughs> I don't think I ever slow danced with a boy in junior high until I moved. All right. I, yeah, because I, I, yeah, I don't think I danced with anybody at Grove ever. Um, but when I moved, friends of mine threw a going away party for me and I got to slow dance. God, I hope he doesn't listen to this show. Probably he not. Doesn't. But, <laughs> but I don't know if you remember Matt Carlson. Of course. <laughs> we slow danced to like this Mariah Carey song. Sure. Which and one? I'm trying to remember. I can't believe I don't remember this because it was like, a, it's the first time I really danced with a boy hmm. and I can't remember. I'm so upset. It had it to be been, off the like first album. It would have been 92. Oh, 92. Shit. Okay. Yeah. Cause it would have been, it would have been, or it would have been, yeah. Cause no 91 because it would have been at the end of my seventh grade year. Okay, she could have had a second album out by 91, but I bet it was off the first album, which means it was probably like, what, Vision of Love? What? No. Uh, was it? Love, it might have been. Love Takes Time to Heal When You're Hurting So Much? Oh, you know what it was? No, I don't. That's why I'm guessing. It was I don't want to cry. <laughs> I don't know that song. Oh my god, yeah. It was I don't want to cry. Holy shit. I hadn't thought about that forever. And it was at Jenny Washan's house. If Jenny's listening, hi Jenny. What's uh, up, Washan? <laughs> yeah, I loved her so much. Um but yeah, like they threw me this going away party and like it surprised me and Matt was like the only dude there and I'd had such a crush on him for years and sure. so we, we danced and stuff. You're and we actually into... went to movies movie dates like with my cousin and his brother like over that summer too. Are so. you totally into dudes who are four feet tall? Yeah, pretty much. Okay. <laughs> I used to be, but I now I date tall you know, tall dudes. But right. yeah. My first my first like serious boyfriend in high school was shorter than me. So All right. it it tracks. By the way, he could be eight feet tall by now. I just know that in junior high, he was a small person. Yeah. Um, yeah, actually, it's funny. I When I was working in downtown Chicago in 98 or 99, I actually saw him in, a, in like, my office building. And it was so weird because, like, I was going down, like, going up the escalator and he was going down or vice versa or something like that. And I was like, and I literally screamed. I was like, oh, my God. Said, what's that Carlson? kid doing on the escalator? <laughs> Goddamn kids on the escalator again. <laughs> Sorry, that's a mall hats reference. I know. Um, okay, I wasn't <laughs> sure. Do you watch movies, Patrick? I'm not sure. <laughs> Every once in a while. Anyway, I'm going to stop talking about my junior high uh, dalliances. Um, so but, which yeah. one of you didn't want to cry, I guess is my question. It was me because I was moving. I was okay. moving up to, Mc so up to McHenry and stuff. And Shit. yeah, I didn't want to do that. So that was, that was something else. Um, but yeah, that was... That was my, my first name. And then, like, my official, like, at my eighth grade dance, I danced a couple times with other with, like, guys who were friends. Because I was only in that school for, like, eight weeks. But I remember one of them was the Beauty and the Beast song. Like, um, Beauty and the Beast? Yeah. <laughs> and then there was uh, another one from Vanessa Williams. Save the Best for Last? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, that was the last song of our dance. And I remember I danced with my friend Rob uh, Lopez that night. You saved the best for last. We did. He was a good friend. We actually stayed friends through high school, so that was nice. Good. So, um, How anyway, tall was he? Uh, he was a little taller than me, so it worked okay. out. <laughs> all right, good. Yeah, you know, so it all worked out. Um, but I love that you, you danced to one dance in junior high, and it was Skid Row. Like, that's yes! so perfect. So perfect. I never danced to Skid Row. This is what's been missing from my life, and I never knew it. Yeah. I'm all yeah. rock, so, baby. I love how we went, started with um, Music of the Heart, and now we're literally <laughs> talking about Skid Row and eighth grade dances. I apologize to anyone who listens to Craven Craven for... Specifically uh, for Music of the Heart. <laughs> for, our friend Brian Kuyper wrote a really great piece at F This Movie... 
about music of the heart because he is a music teacher. And so this movie means a lot to him. So I had that in my mind as I was watching it because I was like, I know this movie connects with people. It's just not totally connecting with me. Obviously, some of the material connected with Wes Craven, he himself being a former teacher. I wonder if that was sort of his in. I was watching it, trying to figure out, like, what are the Cravenisms of this movie? And aside from, like, being interested in teaching and some of the issues of class that continue to come up throughout his filmography, I couldn't pinpoint a lot of Wes Craven in this movie. Yeah, it was, it's strangely the the one Wes Craven movie where I don't feel like we were really watching a Wes Craven movie, which, again, I don't know how much of that might have been Miramax at the time and where he was just excited to get to do something that potentially could be an Oscar movie. And it was. It was. To a degree, you know, so that was pretty cool for him because, you know, even though, like, us as fans, like, we, we want to say, like, oh, the Oscars don't matter and we don't need it to validate horror. And we really don't, you know. But I have to wonder, you know, if you're a director who's been doing this for like 20 some odd years at this point, like, I'm sure you want some sort of accolade or acknowledgement. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like to work in a vacuum and like, yeah, you make money for people and things like that. You help people like, you know, actors become stars and things like that. And you create icons. But like there has to be a point. I'm sure it's, you know, at some point in their career, where they're like, it would just be nice to be said like, hey, you did all right. You know, right. like, I don't think there's anything wrong with that, you know, and so many people want to make like things like the Oscars seem like the enemy. And I'm like, yeah, there's bigger problems in this world. There are bigger problems in this world. My frustration with the Oscars comes because it's like, aside from the people that I care about, movies are the most important thing to me. And this is the mm -hmm. only thing that we have to, you know, sort of the only metric for movies is like box office and Oscars. And I feel both of those things kind of lie about a movie's quality or its legacy or its reputation. Um, and so I get very frustrated with the Oscars. I don't really take them seriously anymore. I haven't for many, many years, and which is good because now I'm able to just laugh shit off when they award, when I realize they gave, you know, best song to you'll be in my heart or whatever. I can just laugh it <laughs> off and not get all incensed. Um, but there was a year where we would, you know, we used to watch the Oscars together every year. And the, and the year that Russell Crowe beat Tom Hanks, I wanted to leave Erica's house. We were watching at Erica's house. And I was like, if Tom Hanks loses for Castaway, I'm out of here. And he did. And I was like, fuck this, I'm leaving. And Erica had to, like, talk me down and made me stay. But that was really the point at which I kind of swore them off in terms of taking them seriously at all. And it's not even that I dislike Russell Crowe in Gladiator. I just didn't feel like he came close to what Tom Hanks did in Castaway, which is make us cry over a volleyball. Yeah. Yeah, that's a tough one because I actually really love both of those performances, but for different reasons. But I get it. The Russell Crowe one is a little more like... You know what I'm saying? Like it's it's got a little bit of that fire under it. But I, well, I, I it's funny. I I just talked about. I was just actually talking to Brian about Castaway like two days ago. Yeah. Because I rewatched it. I want to say in like 2018 when I was at Sundance, and because like I'll just like leave like the, the TV on in the hotel room while I'm working and stuff. And I literally got nothing done because I was like, oh, I'll put on Castaway and just like work while it was on. And I literally was like. The plane goes down. I was like, all right, I'm in. Like, <laughs> I'm not going to get shit done for like the next two hours. Um, and I was just struck by like the depth of that performance when it yeah. doesn't like it's a performance that on the surface seems so simple and so easy. But when you really, really watch what he's doing in that movie, mm -hmm. like it's astonishing. Like it's yeah. it's truly I would put that as top three Tom Hanks. No doubt. Uh, I would too. And Russell Crowe was really winning as a makeup Oscar, like we were just talking about with Phil Collins, because I think the Oscars realized they should have awarded him the year before for The Insider, speaking of Michael Mann, yes. which you and I were Michael doing Mann. before we started recording. Um, the Insider may be Michael Mann's best movie, um, if not Miami Vice, but... Yeah, I but it's that. but it's also it's also hard to root against a Ridley Scott movie. You know what I mean? Uh, sure. Yeah. I don't know. There's just something like I mean, God. I was even earlier today. I was actually watched like part of Hannibal, which I was just like, oh boy. I love Hannibal. I I, I haven't seen it since theaters. I actually, but here's the thing. I didn't. Re I remember not actually liking it 
when I saw it in theaters. But as I was watching, because it was on BBC America, because they were doing a marathon, um, and I was actually getting sucked in, and I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. Like, I guess I, because I'd read the book, and I just felt like thing. I just, it didn't click with me back then, but I was like, oh, I'm actually liking this a lot more, and then I had to switch over to watch stuff for work. But uh, I was like, I think I would want to go back and watch Hannibal. Um, and I was Thank like, you, I feel Ridley like Scott rules. Yes, you know. Um, <laughs> was that was that was that a Craven Cravenism? Yes, it was. Yeah, nice. Um, I'm, I'm I'm asking you it was rhetorical because I I know it was. I don't need somebody to be like, how do you not know that's from Scream Two? <laughs> um, I know it's from Scream Two. Thank you. Um, but yeah, so it's like there's it's just it's honestly for me like because of the people that we talk about when we talk about genre filmmaking they're always sort of seen as these outliers, right? Like they're just people who are supposed to be outside of the system and outside of these accolades and things like that. So to me, honestly, like anytime they're associated with something that does get sort of that kind of praise or get some sort of like little nod from the Academy, whether it's bullshit or not, like it makes me happy. And I have to admit, like, I'm guessing it made Wes happy. Like he probably knew that it wasn't going to get... You know, but he got to make a movie with freaking Meryl Streep. Yeah, right. That she gets nominated for an Oscar for. So I think in some ways, like, I'm kind of surprised after this he didn't do more mainstream stuff. Yeah, I kind of wonder why he didn't. I, I mean, I have I know this movie lost money, um, but and uh, after this he goes back and does Scream Three and sort of you know goes back to the well, which. I get, uh, and Red Eye is around this period, not super close, but like Red Eye to me was a great kind of bridge movie. And obviously we'll talk about that more when we get to it. But Red Eye exists in that space where it's like very kind of mainstream, but feels like a Wes Craven movie. And there's all kinds of like touches that he brings to it that not anybody could have brought to it, but it doesn't it plays for more than just sort of the horror audience and blah, blah, blah. Um, but yeah, the fact that this was sort of his one shot, I mean, the same thing happens to John Carpenter who also gets an Oscar nomination for his sort of one non horror movie when he makes Starman. but we Star look Man. at Starman and we're like, well, that's still totally a Carpenter movie. But yeah. Music of the heart doesn't feel as much like a Wes Craven movie. I wonder why that is. Do you think it's because the industry changed at that point? Uh, do you think it's like because producers... Starman, do you mean? Or are you talking about... Yeah, like in terms of like like movies that were being made in the 80s versus movies being made in the 90s, like producers were far... I feel like they were far more meddlesome in the 90s than they were in the 80s. Where I think like in the 80s, you kind of like... Like, yeah, you were working for a studio, but like there weren't as many like quote-unquote cooks in the kitchen at sure. that point. Yeah. Where like, unfortunately, you know... Craven because Miramax and he's been working with Miramax for a few years. Um, you know, I'm guessing the wine scenes probably because of their notorious penchant for basically meddling in every aspect of everything they possibly could with every movie they put out <laughs> um, with like maybe a few, few minor exceptions. Um, you know, I'm just wondering if it was like, he didn't get the kind of like freedom that somebody like Carpenter got with Starman. Yeah, I have to believe, I mean, more so than just being an overall producer problem, I have to believe it's a Weinstein problem. Yeah. Which is too bad because, again, he had worked for them a few times. He had made them a shit ton of money and proven himself successful for them. So uh, I, that's why he gets the opportunity to direct Music of the Heart in the first place, I believe. Um, and again, I don't know how much they interfered. I don't know how much they were on his back. I'm making assumptions, and maybe that's completely unfair. Maybe they were very supportive. Uh, I have a hard time believing yeah. that just based on every story I've ever heard. Um, yeah. But I'm making assumptions that they, you know sort of uh, we're backseat driving and, and maybe that's not fair, but um, because he does continue to work for them a few more times, at least on the screen movies and on cursed where he has the world's worst experience, oh. which we'll get to. Do he, yeah. Do you feel like maybe he, 
like just felt like he was sort of backed in a corner. Like maybe there was like some sort of contract that we don't know about. Sure. Do you know what I mean? Because like, you know, way, way back in the day. By the way, Joe Madry is listening to this and he's like, guys, I know all this stuff. Screaming. Oh, uh, yeah, I know. Um, there's, there's, you know, there's always somebody out there who knows more. Um, and Joe's like, you know, he's done the work, so I get it. Um, but, like, you know what I mean? Like, because, you know, way back in, like, the original, you know, Hollywood system, like, you know, directors would just work specifically for a specific studio. So I'm wondering if, right, like, right, right. without an actual official, like, contract where Miramax is like, you know, let's just go into the West Craven business for, like, the next 10 years and do shit, you know? And... We're going to kind of, you know, let you do what you want. We're going to have you do these movies. And, like, I don't know. It just feels like he was sort of boxed in where it would have been nice to maybe see him escape that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, But then I he comes definitely... back for Scream 4, like, decades right. later. So. Right. What do we know, Patrick? Not much. Well, it definitely makes me miss his Universal period. That, to me, was, like, the most exciting period, even though... Yeah, definitely it didn't produce any of my like top three Wes Cravens. Um, well, maybe it did. I don't know. Elm street would be my one. And I feel like scream would be my two, but I don't know what my three would be. So maybe it did. Um, even though I don't think it produced any of his like very best movies, I think it produced, three or four of his best movies and, and some really interesting ones at that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would, I, you know, I would probably put in top three. If I was going non franchise Craven, I think my favorite is going to be serpent in the rainbow. Yeah. I figured, you know, so, and people under the stairs is super high up there for me. That's why I said like, I don't know what my, what my three would be. Cause it could very well be people under the stairs. I really love that movie. Yeah. So it's tough. Oh my God. When we finish this and we have to rank Patrick, I don't know what we're going to do. I, I really, I'm going to cry. Well, I don't know even how to rank music of the heart because like, it's a fine movie, you know, but like for what it set out, sets out to do, it's, it gets it done, but it doesn't really compare to anything else. I and, and, and he made he's made movies like that before, um, you know. Swamp Thing kind of does what it sets out to do, and in a lot of ways, something like Shocker kind of does what it sets out to do. But like, I guess I'm just able to, within the context of horror, appreciate some of the idiosyncrasies um, and the ways in which. You know, the movies deviate from uh, horror tropes or the ways in which they speak to Wes Craven's larger filmography or I listen, I agree completely. Yeah, Utah is is taking taking offense. Our neighbors are doing something in the hallway, literally like right outside of our door. And I don't like they constantly just stand out there and talk to each other. And I'm just like, you know, you're you have an apartment right there. You could just go in and talk no, it's I fine. just realized that he did that. There's that anthology, which I don't know. Do we cover that if we're something like it's it's Parish Attempt? Uh, oh, that's right. We should movie. we should like tack the segment on to whatever yeah. movie we're talking about in that month. Yeah, I mean, because he's what I mean, was he's his working. segment? I can't remember. I I don't remember whatsoever. And I actually remember seeing this too. Yeah, I saw it's it in called... theaters. Tara Lachaise, uh, which is, uh, oh, she talks to the ghost of Oscar Wilde. Oh, I do not remember that. Oh, no, he talks to the ghost. God, it's been so long. <laughs> uh, but uh, but uh, Scream 3's Emily Mortimer's in it. Oh, hey now. Speaking yes. of Scream 3, by the way, Music of the Heart. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I'm totally like, I'm looking right now because he's like, he's, he's such a perfect asshole in this movie. <laughs> um, I like him. I like him way more in screen three. He's a cartoon asshole in this movie. Oh yeah. But I love the, his line in screen three. We, we like quote it all the time where he was like, he's in a movie called stab. He was stabbed. And that's, <laughs> we, we literally say that all the time. And I can't believe I am. Is that Adam Lefebvre? No. No, sorry, sorry, sorry. Wrong. I clicked the wrong thing. 
I was like, no, it wasn't the uh, Dan Paxton because that's the guy who helps. Uh, oh, Dennis Ross. It's Josh Pace. Josh Pace, baby. Which I don't remember him being in. He did the voice of Raphael in the original Teenage Mutant <laughs> Ninja Turtles. Holy now crap. you can totally hear it, right? Now that you like, oh my god, are picturing totally Josh Pace, it. you could picture him being like, Crumpet, you gotta know what a what, what a cricket. You gotta know what a crumpet is to play cricket. Cricket. Oh, I can. Oh my god, I can totally see it now. Oh my god. <laughs> wow, he was busy uh, for a little bit there. Um. I forgot he was in a phone booth too. He's got one of those great careers where Erica talks about this all the time. Like he could still go to the grocery store and probably be left alone, but he works constantly. Yeah, he really did. Like that's he, kind uh, of the dream, you know. You still it, get to have a normal is. life, but like you're always working. Yeah, I completely forgot he was in Teeth. I've only seen Teeth once. I don't remember him yeah. from Teeth. No, but he's, it's not his filmography, but I was like, wait, he's in teeth? He's a yeah. doctor in it. Okay. So, wow, that is crazy. Good for him. But yeah, we, we quote him uh, in, we quote him from Scream 3 a lot. He's funny so. in Scream 3. He is. He is. Um, I'm offended by the poster for Music of the Heart. Again, to go back to Gloria Estefan, because it's like Meryl Streep just like holding Gloria Estefan's head. And Angela Bassett oh. looks on smiling and I'm just like, she is not that big of a role in this movie, guys. Quit trying to advertise the fact that you got Gloria Estefan to do two scenes. Like, if anything, I mean, it should be it's... it should be what's her name? Jane Leaves or whatever that the British woman's name is who gets her Are the you, don't don't you don't you talk about Jane Leaves like that. She is a precious commodity. It's nothing against I... Jane Leaves. I have no problem with Jane Leaves. I love Daphne from is, is that Fra- so much. You know I've never seen an episode of Frasier. What? Yeah. I've seen every episode oh of Cheers, God. by the way. I love Cheers. I've never seen Frasier in my life. Oh, my God. Patrick. I'm Robert. sorry. I'm sorry. What? What is? What? I'm the worst. Oh, my God. You know, it's funny. Like, I want to say like five or six years ago, Brian and I decided to rewatch Frasier from the beginning. Yeah. And I was like, Frasier. I didn't get the genius of Frasier until I really watched it. Because it's like, okay, who wants to watch a movie like a show? About, like, basically people who are wealthy, right. living this certain lifestyle with, like, this certain sort of, like, you know, notoriety in their communities and things like that. But the the humor that, like, pulsates throughout it is so common where, like, even if you're not, like, a radio personality, like, you get it. And it, you can relate to it. And, Wow. I can't believe you've never watched Frasier. Was Jane Leaves the will they or won't they for Frasier or for David Hyde Pierce? Yes. Oh, for David Hyde Pierce. Okay. It was Daphne. It was Daphne and Niles. Got it. Okay. Yeah, she was the caretaker for Frasier's dad, who was played by John, John Mahoney. Mahoney, who I love. He's great. Guess. Yeah. Yes, um, and Eddie the dog, which, oh yeah, God, I can't believe you never watched Frasier. I never have. Oh. Dude, and when Lilith shows up, it's, like, amazing. And there was even, like, times when Cheers people showed up throughout the seasons and stuff. Like, Ted Danson's on a couple times, I think. I'm pretty sure. I know Shelley Long was on at least once. As she should be. Like, she broke his heart. Yes. Yes, she did. Um, but They'd wow. slow dance together to Who's Gonna Cry. You mean I Don't Want to Cry? I Don't Want to Cry. <laughs> Is what I meant to say. <laughs> you totally messed up your own joke. Well, it wouldn't be um, the first time. <laughs> I know. But anyway, so, yeah, I, I, I was like, I totally forgot she was in this. And I was like, oh, sweet. I got so excited. Uh, and it was also his first time working with a Culkin. That's right. Yeah. We, who, we, when we, he we, first showed up, I was like, laugh. wait, is this the Culkin who shows up in Scream 4? But the age difference would be too great. So I know they're two different yeah. Culkins. Yeah, yeah, this is Kieran. We we don't get Rory for a while. Right. So, because it was funny, because when the movie first started, I was like, wait, I feel like the age is off for that being Kieran, because it starts off with, like, a little boy. Right. And I was like, because I remember, like, around this time, he was doing, like, um, uh, she, he was in, like, She's All That. That's what I remember. Oh, Cider House Rules, also. I totally... 
Speaking of shameless Miramax Oscar ploys, Cider House rules. Yeah. Michael Caine won for that movie over Tom Cruise for Magnolia. That's when I should have quit the Oscars. That is when he should have quit the Oscars. Yeah. So, and speaking of Michael Mann, why Tom Cruise didn't get nominated for uh, Collateral is beyond me. Tom Cruise should probably have a couple nominations. Well, he does have a couple nominations. He's got at least three. Yeah, I would even say, like, I don't think it's his best work, but I, I would imagine it wouldn't be too far-fetched to see him getting nominated for Maverick. Uh, Yeah, especially because I don't think any more movies are coming out, so Maverick is going to yeah, be playing until Oscar time. <laughs> Maverick should be playing for, like, the next ten years at this yeah, point. Are you kidding me? Yeah, I think me? so. So, and I just remembered he was Igby and Igby goes down. A movie I really, really like. Yeah, I do too. <coughs> oh so, no. But yeah, I was like, yeah, when I saw like the, the little kid at the start of the movie, I was like, that doesn't feel like Kieran Culkin. And I'm like looking no. at the kid. I was like, no, that's not. And then they go, of course, 10 years later and I was like, ah, okay, here we right. go. So, you know what I have to say though? One of my big things is I think why like watching it now, like, you know, I mean, it's sweet and actually... The, the end performances with, like, all of these, like, sort of legends yeah. in, like, music, like, really, it pulled at my heartstrings, if you will, or my, you know, my, oh, my violin boy. strings a little bit. <laughs> um, only because like, I, I used to watch this VHS of Iztak, uh, of, uh, oh, my gosh, Iztak Perlman all yeah. the time when I worked at Store of Knowledge. Okay. And so, you know, I have to admit, like, I bet for, or I have to, I have to wonder, like, for those kids in that moment, like, you're on stage with these freaking legends of music. Like, that had to be kind of cool. And I also can't imagine the headaches that Craven had to face coordinating parts of this movie between all the little kids in it, all the types of performances, like, yeah. all of that stuff. Like, this might, on a technical level, be one of the hardest movies he's ever done, I think. Um, yeah, I mean, it's hard to say, you know, obviously he's so used to like working with effects and stuff like that, which I'm sure presents its own set of challenges, but yeah, working with all these kid actors, I'm sure, right, exactly. Uh, no effects, but 50 kids. Um, yeah, again, I wish it's not fair for me to wish this was a different movie, but the small scale stuff in the classroom and some of her not combative but her somewhat abrasive teaching style like that interested me when it turns into just everybody's great at violin and we're playing on stage at carnegie hall flawlessly um it just becomes such a movie thing for me even though again it really happened like i'm not blaming the movie for making up a fiction that i can't believe but uh, it feels like this cliche movie ending. Um, and that bums me out. Yeah. I'm much more interested when it's just some of the struggles with teaching in the classroom. Or, I, you know, I like a few of the little character moments, like the girl whose parents are splitting up and she, her violin is at her mom's house and her dad has brought her to school. Like things that she might really have to do deal with given the population that she's working with and you know the movie kind of breezes past those yeah I think for me my biggest problem and I hope he's not listening and sir if you are I'm so sorry um, but it's like this whole Paul Reiser thing but like I just don't know that I've ever connected with Aiden Quinn as an actor I'm not a big Aiden Quinn guy no so if he's listening right now I'm really sorry sir um, and he it's, listens to F this movie. You. He skips the Craven He's a Chicago Cravens. guy. I know he is. He's a, so you know he's like he's probably like oh they're finally doing my movie I'm gonna tune in now. Um, <laughs> There's a handful of movies like, I like him in, including Stakeout, where he's a villain. Uh, I, uh, <laughs> I don't feel like I don't feel like he's the reason I watched that movie. No, he's not. But he works in the movie. He's never been the reason I've watched a movie. I've never watched a movie because I'm like, ooh, Aiden Quinn. And like his character is such a piece of shit in Legends of the Fall. I've seen Legends of the Fall exactly once. I remember like someone dies and then Brad Pitt comes over a hill. Like it's literally like how do we like pass around uh, 
Julia Ormond to all these brothers <laughs> in the right. same family. Like right. literally that's what it is. That movie, like I get it. It's pretty. And of course Brad Pitt is smoking hot in it and everything like that. But like that movie to me, like felt like it was like four hours long. My mom loved it. Um, that was actually one of the first VHS tapes. I remember her buying like once we like moved into our house, mm. uh, like when we finally got like our real VCR, like in the nineties and she's like, I need legends of the fall. And I was like, okay, do you though? Um, yeah. Um, I, I remember seeing it in theaters with friends cause it's, you know, it was Brad Pitt in the nineties, right. of course. Right. Um, and, but boy, that movie, like, I sort of got felt like it was four hours long. Yeah, that's um, my memory. Like some family member would die, and then Brad Pitt would go away for a while. Henry Thomas. But it happens more than once, I think. It does. So basically, Henry Thomas and Julia Ormond are engaged. The war happens, so they have to go out. Um, and I think it's, I think Brad Pitt's character stays behind, and I think it's Aiden Quinn and Julia or, or uh, Henry Thomas that go to war. I, I remember correctly, or maybe Brad Pitt was there too. I don't remember. One of them sees him die. I don't know. So word comes back to her that he's died. And then she like takes up this affair with Brad Pitt. But Brad Pitt's all moody and stuff. And then they break it off or whatever. And he disappears. And then she basically decides to like hook up with Aiden Quinn and marries him, if I'm not mistaken. And then I think she kills herself or something. I, it's like, again, it's been almost 30 years since I've watched it. So, yeah, I just he keeps coming back over a hill and everyone's like, look, Brad Pitt's back. It's, I don't Which know. again, I, you know, I get it because, like, you know, it was Brad Pitt that when he would come over a a, a a hill at that point. Yeah, but movies where so, Brad Pitt explicitly tries to be pretty, I don't think work. And I know I'm speaking Louise? ill of your precious interview with the vampire, but. I'm not super precious about Interview Vampire. Okay. I love it. I actually probably love it more for Antonio Banderas, but Okay. Um but I don't totally love it. He's a he's a pretty boy in Thelma and Louise. That's he is, you know what, that talk. which does work. I will take it back because he's I pretty just, great in Thelma and Louise. Yeah. So anyway, I also found out that Aiden Quinn I just realized he studied with the Pivens. Oh and I have such a an adversity to, I'm so adverse to Jeremy Piven. <laughs> I can't imagine why. It's it's the entourage effect. Um, so I'm just like, oh, no, never mind. That's why. <laughs> so I get it. So anyway, I'm sorry, Aiden Quinn, that I don't enjoy your work more. He's bringing that Piven energy. I know, just in like a different way. So and actually, I've never seen Practical Magic, so I don't know if he's any good in that. But I know he was in that, too. Uh, I don't love him in that. And I don't love that movie, which I shouldn't let the Internet hear me say because they will come for me. Oh, you were in trouble. <laughs> I know. It's a good thing. Okay. Nobody listens to this show. Oh, it's a good. Yeah. It's, I hope you've enjoyed your, your career because it's over for you now. <laughs> the only two people listening are Aiden Quinn and Matthew Carlson. They're hanging out. And Joe Madry just <laughs> getting furious with He's us. So, so angry at us. He's like, God damn it, why are you two doing a Craven show? Why indeed, Patrick? We're why sorry, indeed? Joe. No, he's so nice. He messaged me because we were off for like two months and he messaged me and he's like, I'm craving some Craven. I said, Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> but May got away from us and then June was June exploitation, so we didn't do it, but now we're back. Well, here and here I thought I was just nothing more than an assault on the sensibilities. So what do I know? <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> you think I wasn't going to mention it? Because I hope whoever that is is listening. I really do. It was Matthew Carlson. Yeah. It probably was. <laughs> now that I'm thinking about it, I'm like, oh, it probably was. I don't know if he'd be that clever to use a name from Three Musketeers. Oh, uh, sure. Uh, yeah. I think that's what it is, right? I don't remember. Because wasn't D'Artagnan the bad guy in Three Musketeers? Uh, he's not a bad guy. He's one of the Musketeers, I think. Oh, is he? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I read the story once in like junior high, and then I saw that movie with Chris O'Donnell was one of them, right? Yes, I like that one. That's a good adaptation. I never liked it. Yeah. I just haven't thought about it in forever, so... Also, we were wondering, and maybe you know this because you're 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 the movie person, but like, because <laughs> Batman and Robin's been on this weekend a lot. What Interesting. He's on one of those like NCIS's or something. 
He's doing oh, just really? fine. Yeah, he's probably oh, like a hundred episodes deep. Back. It's him and LL Cool J, I think. Is that always? Oh, is he doing NCIS LA? I believe so. Oh, good for him. Yeah, he yeah. is sleeping on a pile of money. NCIS Los Angeles. Good. He always seemed like a nice kid. Sure. I, I remember no he was in that movie him. that was oh, he's like done, a, he's, I'm like sorry, he's Irish... done 300 episodes of that show. Wow, <laughs> he really is doing well for himself. I remember yes, he was he... in like that Irish romance movie with Minnie Driver. Circle of Friends, baby. Oh my God, I saw that in theaters too. It's good, it's um, cute. It is, I remember liking that a lot. I think I actually had a VHS tape too. Minnie Driver should have um, been a bigger star with a longer career. Damn right, and how good is Gross Point Blake? So good. Uh Oh, God. Uh, anyway. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think if there's anything else. <laughs> Let me talk about music on the heart for like 10 minutes. I'm so sorry. You know what's interesting to me, though? What's that? So, okay, so I did see that um, Madonna was actually supposed to be the lead in this. I don't know if you knew that. I won't say better movie, but... More interesting movie, maybe? Maybe. But, also, but she left because I guess she'd had creative differences with Wes and um, oh Brian's going to be home in a minute so we're going to have to 10 minutes sorry he just said this wrong while well, we're talking about the backstage stuff now um, but she she and I guess she studied like for months how to play the violin and then walked away from the movie um, but also like I feel like the age would have been different or it, it, her and Meryl Streep like that close in age I couldn't tell you honestly I don't I honestly don't know either, but um, I was kind of like thinking like, whoa. Also, if, if Madonna had starred in this movie, my mother would have never gone. So <laughs> I would have never seen it in 99, probably. Uh, Meryl Streep is 73. Madonna okay. is 63. So there's a 10-year difference. Yeah, I kind of feel like you almost needed somebody like Meryl Streep's age because like she's a, like she's been married for a while. Yeah, yeah. I just don't know that like. I would have bought it as much because I think Madonna still looked pretty young in the late 90s, right. too. Well, right, because at this point, she would have been 43. I mean, yeah. younger. Yeah, so, or, you know, 45, whatever. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I You know, I, I think I'm glad for Wes Craven's sake that it ended up not being her because I could see that being a much more difficult experience. Yeah. Um, than he had with Meryl Streep and I'm glad he got to work with Meryl Streep and I'm glad she got to work with him, frankly. Yeah, honestly, me too. And also Meryl Streep did learn how to play violin as well. Yeah, you can kind of tell. I mean, I know she's, you know, she obviously is very dedicated to her performance. Her and craft. Yeah, and so it makes sense to me that she would learn. But as you watch her, she's very convincing. Yeah, she she really did. So that's kind of cool. Yeah, very so, cool. But yeah, uh, that's it for know, music of the heart. Is, that's all we got to say. Yeah, I kind of think so. Like it's fine by me. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, I wish it were better. It's not terrible. No, it's, it's not, not like it's a bad not movie. even bad. Yeah, it just is like it's okay, fine. Yeah, and and like I'll tell you, like I had a big huge smile on my face during the finale, even though I knew it was super like hokey by today's standards but there was something still really charming about it and like just kind of grasping the enormity of like what this moment meant in reality yeah for the for the real people like i was like oh that's really wonderful yeah and how that kind of came together i don't like them shoehorning aiden quinn in at the end though no again the other guy was so helpful and he's just like i know you get here and i was like oh go away like because we need his approval for some reason. He's just such like a stock character too. Just like he's the wrong guy. You know, everybody in this movie is kind of a stock character who's there to bounce <laughs> off of Meryl Streep in a way that isn't particularly interesting. They exist as movie cliches instead of as real people who are like flawed and interesting, which is what she's playing. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I mean, honestly, like, if once we get to the rankings of Craven, like, I don't think this will be anywhere towards the top. But, you know, I bet there's a there's a, a demographic out there who truly loves this movie. And I love that they love this movie. Yeah. And I'm glad, honestly, I'm glad I, I rewatched it. Because, like, like I said, it had been 
not since theaters that I had watched it last. And I'm glad I took the time because honestly, like anything that puts me closer to sort of the, the heart of Wes Craven, like as a big of a Craven file as I am, like, I appreciate that. You know what I mean? Like, cause I feel like you can in some aspects of this movie really sense his, his heart. Mm-hmm. and what he was trying to do. So I just don't think it worked as well as he probably had hoped. Nicely said. So, um, thanks. Yeah, so next month we will be back with Scream 3 as we enter the oh, final boy. the final five. We got five uh, more of these. Conversation. <laughs> and it kicks off with Scream 3. It's a weird... These last five are a little, a little rough. Uh, hey, hey, hey. Red Eye's good. Hey, <laughs> hey. I don't want to fight already, Patrick, but I will. Um, nah, Cursed is a mess. My Soul to Take is a mess. Red Eye's Honestly, good. I haven't seen My Soul to Take since theaters either, so that'll oh, be boy. interesting. It is yeah. fucking wild. I was actually pretty drunk when I saw it too. So I don't remember anything about it. Okay. So it's going to be a journey for me. So it was back in my face when I was drinking a lot. Uh, so well, it's going to be a journey for all of us. It will, but you know, Hey, we have red eye and we have screen three and four. Yeah. To look forward to. Yeah, we do. <sighs> <laughs> all right. Well, thank you guys very much for listening. Thank you, Heather, for talking about this movie and more with me. Yes, I think emphasis emphasis on the and more. <laughs> yes, we're sorry. We're sorry, Aiden Quinn, if we we hurt your feelings in any way, or Phil Collins. I love you, Phil Collins. So I don't suck it, Phil Collins. I'm pa- no, I am Patrick Bateman when it comes to Phil Collins. Like oh, I understand man. the genius. So, dude, I can't listen in the air tonight and not just be like in the air ready rules. to do air drums. Yeah, it's oh, great. Oh, God. And then the Miami Vice. Speaking yeah. of Miami Vice and Michael Mann. Oh, yeah. Anyway. It's great. So, it is. All right. So. Well, thank you, guys. And we will uh, talk to you next month. <laughs>